You're listening to the podcast of Opportunity Christian Fellowship in Spokane Valley, Washington. Opportunity Christian Fellowship exists to develop committed followers of Christ who are attracting others to Him. This week's speaker, Lead Pastor Dan Bonney. How's everybody doing today? If you're not, you wouldn't say, right? Yeah. Um, It's good to be here. Oftentimes we think about who we'd like to be like in life, and we have our role models, and sometimes that those are our parents or somebody in our childhood or maybe a teacher or somebody that we look up to. But who don't you want to be like? We also have those people, right? We have people in our, our minds that we don't want to be like. Now, I look up to my dad a lot, and in a lot of ways I like to be like him, but there are certain things I don't want to be like. Uh, my dad in certain areas and one of those areas is my dad I don't know what it is but you know what these my my sermons now are are on um, podcast yeah but my parents don't have internet so it's okay all right all right my dad my dad sometimes uh, when he's eating he's done this you know my whole life sometimes he gets a little something on his chin and for some reason, he doesn't feel it. He doesn't know it's there. So mom will say, Dad, Dwayne, you know, use a napkin, you know, wipe off. And, and, and this has happened enough. So now, you know, he's kind of a wise guy. So he goes, oh, really? And he goes like this. You know, and, you know it's really exaggerated. Well, the other day I was eating and I had something on my chin. I didn't know. I didn't know it was there. And Yeah. And Paula says to me, Dan, you got something up on your chin. I went, oh, no, I'm becoming like my dad. <laughs> uh, yeah, what's that? I was a wise guy, too. I did exactly what dad did, yeah. So another way is that as I get older, as I look at myself in the mirror, uh, there are certain parts, you know, things shift in life and I realize I'm becoming more and more like my dad in that way and that's just not good that's not good at all so who are who do you not want to be like and you're like how many you know Bible characters who don't you want to be like who what did I hear Judas did I hear Judas okay you don't want to be like Judas who else who don't you want to be like who? Cain. Cain. All right, Cain. All right. How, how many want to be like King Saul? Yeah, you don't want to be like... Yeah, you got some wise guys up there that want to be like King Saul. How many want to be like Stephen? Maybe. Although, you know, he was the first martyr. So, you know, he kind of raged... Oh, no. Not really. Not really. There was a song we used to sing when I was a kid... In church, and it was kind of like the song we sang here about, I want to love you, I want to serve you. But that song had a part where, Jesus, I want to love you, I want to serve you, I want to die also, and this. And so us kids, we'd be singing, I want to love you, I want to serve you, I want to, mm, and I, you know, we go, mm. That was a big joke. We didn't want to do that. Uh, as we read through the Bible, there certainly is a group of people that Jesus does not want us to be like. And we've been going through Matthew, 
And in Matthew 21, if you look at your Bibles, you can open them up. We're going to be looking actually at at some verses in Matthew 23. But starting in chapter 21, Jesus comes into Jerusalem. This, so just so you understand the context of these chapters, it's the, the last week before he's crucified. So it's, you know, starting on Sunday and then, or Saturday, Sunday, and then going through the, the Passion Week, which is Easter, and then ending up on Friday, Good Friday, and then he's crucified and then raises on Sunday. So this week is a, this week in Jerusalem was one that was just full of confrontation for Jesus. And chapters 21 through 23 describe that. And so we have him coming in, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and everybody's praising him. And then story after story after story are these stories of confrontation with the religious authorities. And you get to chapter 23, and you really begin to understand that Jesus is very, very, very upset at the Pharisees, at the religious authorities. How do I know this? Well, when you get home, read chapter 23. We're not going to go through the whole chapter today. But these are some names, and you have to understand that he's calling these Pharisees these names, and they're standing right there. He calls them hypocrites, sons of hell, blind guides, blind fools, blind men, blind Pharisees, snakes, vipers, and murderers. This is Jesus. (laughs) Ooh, Yeah, he calls these people these names. And you're thinking to yourself, you know, I mean, come on. I mean, this is Jesus who looks at the multitudes and has compassion for them because they are like sheep that are lost without a shepherd. You know, this is Jesus who the woman that was caught in adultery and he has compassion on her. And and he says, go, you know, I don't condemn you either. Nobody's been here to throw a stone, so I don't condemn you either and go and sin no more and. And, you know, this is Jesus who, who in, all, in all, every scenario in the Bible that we find him, except this, he's a, a God that is a compassionate God that is reaching out. That, so what in the world is going on here? He has no time at all for these religious leaders. In fact, he tells us directly in Matthew 23, verse 1, that we shouldn't be like them. Then Jesus, verse 1, said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must obey them. Do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for men to see. They make their phylacteries wide and tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted in the marketplaces and to have men call them rabbi. So what was it about these Pharisees that Jesus just could not understand, could not just, he couldn't take it? Well, as I read through this passage... There are a couple things here that I believe are the reasons why, for Jesus, he he confronted the Pharisees in such a manner. First of all, I believe they, they set themselves up as the enforcers of God's high standards, yet were unwilling to lift a finger to help people reach those standards. They saw themselves as kind of the policemen at the gate. 
And they were responsible to make sure that whoever was in had reached these standards. But everybody else was out. But they were just a policeman. They weren't responsible to help anybody get in. They were just there. And they were the gateway. And they make sure that everybody had these standards before they were allowed in. In essence, in other words, they became a barrier between God and his people. And if you remember back, uh, well, God's whole intent for calling this people called Israel out of Egypt and becoming a, a people that followed God was so that they might be kingdom of priests. You recall those passages in the Old Testament. In other words, a priest who becomes a bridge between God and the people. And so here are the Pharisees, who are the religious leaders, who are the ones who are supposed to be the closest to following what God's intentions and motivations and heart are. And yet, they're doing exactly the opposite. Instead of being this bridge, they are now a barrier. And Jesus gets very angry. In fact, any time in the Bible, not just this time, when, when something that is religious, when something that is a, a ritual or something that is a in a religious setting that was meant to bless man becomes a curse, God gets very angry. And we see that's why Jesus went into the temple and just made a mess of it, turning over tables and, 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 and kicking out the money changers because those money changers and the, the, the business that was going on there had become a barrier between the people and God, which is exactly the opposite of what God wanted for his priests and for his kingdom, the Israelites. So Jesus was very angry about this. Not only was it because they, in essence, were a barrier between the people and God, but also, as I read this, it seems to me that not only are they setting standards high, but they're not living up to them themselves. They set the standard up here, and they pretend to live up to it, and yet in reality, they are not at all. And so we call that what? Hypocrisy. Exactly. Saying one thing, and, but in actuality, you are something else. And the third thing as I read this is just the hiding self-serving motives in religious service. In other words, loving to be called rabbi, loving to be called pastor, loving to be called teacher, uh, and serving people, but really it's all about me. And not at all really about serving so, these things, God, Jesus, gets very angry at. And he calls them all these names. So, we don't want to be like the Pharisees. Correct? Nobody does. But are we? And I ask myself this question because I think this attitude of being... The, the, the attitude that the Pharisees had is an attitude that is something that just kind of creeps in. Very subtly. Into... Religious circles. Uh, Jesus compares this attitude to yeast. And he said to the disciples, actually, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. And yeast is something that just kind of sneaks in. And you really don't know it's in the bread. In fact, you can't know it's in there until you begin to see some of its effects as the bread, the dough begins to rise. But you look at the dough and you don't see it rising. It's, it's a matter of coming back later and you see that there's something has happened there. But yeast is very subtle. Yeast sneaks in there and it begins to permeate. And you can't really see it, but it's there. And you begin to see the fruit of it. And so, are we? Am I? Do I have attitudes? Do we as a church 
as Opportunity Christian Fellowship, do we, as a church in the United States, do we, are we, do we have these attitudes of the Pharisees? I think they're attitudes that can very easily sneak in. I say this because back then, the Pharisees were the ones that were respected. I mean, Jesus certainly came down hard on them, but the people respected the Pharisees. They were the conservative group. They were the group that held to the standards. They were the group that kind of were the moral people of that time. They were the group that kind of held for what was pure and right and good in Judaism. And they were very much respected. And when people wanted to know about morality, they would think of the Pharisees. And so this isn't a group at all that was looked down upon in that day and age. And in fact, the Pharisees themselves thought there's absolutely no way that we are like those that killed the prophets in the Old Testament because obviously they would read the Old Old Testament was their scriptures. And there is absolutely no way that they saw themselves as being in the same line as these prophets who killed or these uh, people that killed the prophets of God in the Old Testament. So in their minds... They were obeying God. In their minds, they were following God. And yet, Jesus calls them all these names. And Jesus, the God who is compassionate and loving, we see this side of Him that is angry, very angry, at what these people are doing to, in representation of Him. So I want us to ask ourselves this question this morning. Do I have attitudes that are Pharisee attitudes? I believe that we start to become like Pharisees. First and foremost, there can be several indications of this, but first and foremost, when we are more willing to judge others than to identify with them and help. Now, this is very upsetting to Jesus. Why is that? It's popular these these days to talk about DNA. You know, what is the DNA of things? What is the, the core value of things? As you look at Jesus, his DNA, his core value was identifying. The whole reason he came to this earth was to identify with our brokenness. In fact, he went so far to take on our sins on the cross. His whole reason for coming was so that God could understand, could identify, and could forgive through Him. And so His whole reason for being here was to be able to walk with those who are hurting, walk with those who are broken. Who is Jesus known as a friend to? To sinners. Jesus' favorite people to hang around were what in that day and age would have been considered traitors. Like tax collectors were. They've sold out to the Romans. These were people, the outcasts, the lepers, the the prostitutes, the people that the Pharisee would never have anything to do with. Jesus was considered their friend. Why? Because he came to identify with our brokenness, with our sinfulness, with those things that are dark and ugly in us. 
We are like the Pharisees when we are more willing to judge others than to identify with them and help. When we as a church, you and I, are faster to judge than to identify with, we risk being the object of God's anger. Okay, I want you to picture this, and I, wanna, I want you to figure out where you are in this picture. Okay, you've got, you've got a guy that's drowning. What does that person need? That person needs somebody to jump in and save him, right? You have a person on the shore that real, sees this person drowning, and they begin to shout out instructions. The way you learn to swim <laughs> is you put one arm in front of the other, Put your head down the water. You don't need to be scared of that. Put your head down the water and that will bring your legs up and you kick your legs and you'll get out. Is that what you need? No. You're drowning, right? Or worse yet, how about the guy that's on the shore or on the dock or wherever and he says, well, of course, the line of buoys delineates between shallow water and deep water. You went across that line of buoys. You're in deep water, dummy. What would you expect? You knew you don't know how to swim. It's your own fault you got out there. You got yourself in this mess. Get yourself out. Okay? Or are you the person that the person's drowning? You jump in. You know what it's like. You've been in the water. You know what it's like. You've learned how to swim. You know that certain feeling of panic that comes when you're out of control and you can't get enough air, and, but you've learned how to swim. You go in, you grab them, and you pull them out. So who are you in that scenario? And who are we as a church in that scenario? Where are we? Are we on the shore saying you got yourself in this mess? You shouldn't have done that anyway. Pull yourself out. Are you out there shouting instructions as the expert? This is what you're supposed to do. You go ahead and do it. Or are you getting wet? Are you diving in? Are you saying to this person, I know what it's like to drown, and I've learned how to swim. So come, I'm with you. I can help you get out of this mess. Jesus' response always in that situation is, I understand you. Isn't it wonderful to have somebody understand us? Have you, I think all of us, if you've lived long enough, have gotten to a place where we are wrestling with something and we finally come across somebody who has gone through exactly the same thing. And they say to us, and we know that it's genuine and we know it's true, and when they say to us, I understand you. I've been there. I've been through that. Isn't that just wonderful? And better yet, when we have somebody say that and mean that and we sense that and that person says, but you know what? There is light at the end of the tunnel. I've made it through. If you would allow me, I'd love to walk with you through this. It's a whole different sense than the person that's shouting instructions from the shore, isn't it? Or the person saying, you got yourself in this mess. Get yourself out. Now, as a church, God is calling us, this, this group of very imperfect people, who we are, God is calling us in our brokenness, out of our brokenness, to be these bridges into a world that is broken. To be these bridges that come alongside, much as the Holy Spirit comes alongside us, to come alongside those who are broken and us to say to them, I have been there, allow me to help you. I was uh, yesterday all day long in these meetings. 
down in Boise, and I flew down with a group and flew back up and all the way. This one guy that I was with, um, wonderful guy, wonderful Christian guy, um, very, very, very intelligent. I mean, he's just amazingly intelligent. Um, but towards the end of the day, he told me about an experience in his life. He said, when I was in my 20s, I almost committed suicide. And I said, well, tell me about that. And he said, well, things were very dark. And all I could think of was that I was a failure. And all I could think of was that I was letting people down. And that I had these standards and I just wasn't meeting them. And, and he said, I actually believed that if I killed myself, people would be happier. I actually believed that if I was no longer around, other people's lives would be easier. And I actually began to believe that it was an unselfish act for me to take my life. That in fact, I would be blessing others by removing myself from the picture. Well, obviously he didn't kill himself, right? Because I was talking to him yesterday. But God spoke to him in a very dark moment when he had his dad's gun in his hands and began to give him a ray of hope. And he followed that ray of hope. But my point being that that fellow can talk to anybody who is in that darkness and he, because he's been there. And he can relate. And he can say, I understand where you're at. Much more than I can. Because I've never been there. But he has. So the question becomes, are we willing to open our hearts up and to dive in? Are we willing to truly be vulnerable? Are we willing to say, I have been broken. And this is where I was broken. Are we willing to do that as a church? Are we willing to do that as Christians? Or... Are we so frightened of truly being vulnerable to each other and saying, you know what, this is the dark stuff in my life that I've gone through. Are we afraid of saying that because we're afraid that people somehow might judge us and say, well, how in the world could you ever have done that? Or how in the world did you, were you there? Or how in the world are you going through that now? Aren't you supposed to be a Christian? Now, isn't that kind of in our hearts? I mean, why in the world do people find it so much easier to go to a bar and talk about their problems than coming to church? Well, I think it's because of that they, they sense that they will be judged. Well, that's Pharisee. And as a church, we need to do something about that because that's not what God wants. Now, I know, and I don't, I don't have any specific examples in my mind at all. For this, okay? But I just know that in a church our size, in a group that's here this morning, there are lots of different things going on. And I know that today, perhaps, there are people right now that are really struggling with having sex outside of marriage, for instance. I know that maybe there's some teens here this morning that have a boyfriend or girlfriend and they're out sleeping with them. Now, do we talk about that in church? Do we talk about having an adulterous relationship? You know, we're married and go out and have a, an affair? Or is that something that is absolutely a taboo? We do not touch that. And if you have gone through that, are you able and safe enough to be able to say to God and to this church, okay, I've been through this. I've been broke. I've been there. I've been there. This is how God has helped me. Are we willing and able to, to bring these things up and be bridges? I know that uh, in a church this size, a congregation 
this many here this morning, is that perhaps there are people here that are wrestling with their sexual identity. I'm a guy and man, I am scared to death because I have these feelings and it seems like it's for other guys or a girl. You know, this whole lesbian gay thing. Wow. I mean, there's absolutely no way we can talk about that in church, is there? And if I'm really feeling these things, and those feelings are real, I mean, (laughs) these feelings are real, okay? Can I talk to them in a safe place in church? And if I have had those feelings, and I've gone through that, and I'm on the other side, and God has helped me, and I've, whatever, am I willing to say to the church, you know, I was there. I was there. But God has helped me. Just this week I, I read, and maybe some of you read, about this Christian artist, been an artist for, you know, for years. And he said, I wrestled with this whole sexual identity thing for 30 years, and I've finally given up. I can't wrestle with it, and I'm giving, I'm giving into it. And he, quote unquote, came out of the closet. Um, you know, that's probably here today, this morning, and some of us here. Okay? So, are we willing? To be able to say, I am in the water with you. I know how to swim. Let me help you in the name of Jesus Christ. Let me help you. Jesus would. That's what Jesus is all about. He came. He walked with us. He got dirty with us. He went to the cross. He even became sin for us on the cross. The sins of humanity were placed on his shoulders. He went as far from God as he, as, as God could because of love identifying with you and me so that he could say to us, this is the way and the way is through Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth and the life. So this morning, I ask you again, are we Pharisees? Is that yeast creeping into our lives? And if it is, then we need to say to God, forgive me. Help me to see the world as you see the world. Help me to be a bridge. Help me to create an environment, whether it's in my small group, whether it's in my family, whether it's in my workplace. But help me create an environment where people know that I am a bridge that I am not judging, that I am with you. Let me help you find the way out. And if this morning you are here and you're right in the middle of something that you know isn't pleasing to God and you're really struggling with it, are you able? I would encourage you to say, listen, this is where I'm at. Would you help me? So let's close our eyes and let's bow our heads. And I would like to allow just a few minutes of silence. And I want you to respond to God in your heart right now. Whatever it is that God has been speaking to you about this morning. And then I would like you to just take the next step, whatever that is for you. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that you are a God who is with us and you are constantly calling us to follow you 
And in that, there's great safety. Lord Jesus, there's nothing that we need to be pretentious about. There's nothing that we need to pretend to be because we are in you and in you by grace. Lord Jesus, help us to be faithful to you, to be willing to dive in and help others, to be willing to open up and share the areas in our life that we're struggling in. Help our church to be light. Help our church to be a bridge. May this be the safest place in our community. Opportunity Christian Fellowship for anybody. May this be a safe place. May our small groups be safe places. May our eyes be on you as we follow you. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the podcast of Opportunity Christian Fellowship. Opportunity Christian Fellowship is located at 1313 South Pines in the city of Spokane Valley, Washington. Check us out online at www.opportunitychristianfellowship.org.